Credit scores are important to financial health. Do you know yours and how it's calculated? A poor credit score can make it hard to get a loan, a credit card, or even a job. We can help answer questions and possibly save you money. Hi, I'm Diane Freeby of Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, inviting you to schedule a free financial checkup today at NotreDameFCU.com slash elevate. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame FCU. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop. And Bishop, how many Bibles do you have? Oh, that's a good question. I probably have about five or six. Okay, that's not as many as I thought. No, no. Do people gift you Bibles? No, but I have, because I'm chair of the board of our Sunday visitor. Oh, yeah. Every time, and I I receive all their publications. Yeah. So some of them I will keep because I'm going to read them. Others I'll give away. Mm Mm-hmm. And they publish a, a number of Bibles, so I've yeah. gotten a number from them. But I usually give them away as gifts. Do you ever use digital Bibles, either an app or on websites, looking up different verses or things? No. Really? No. I'm not really... I mean, I like paper. Yeah. I don't know. I, I am not good. I even like Today's Catholic or Our Sunday Visitor newspaper, Yeah, uh, National Catholic Register newspaper. I get all those the paper version. Now I shouldn't say I never look at, you know, some things on, especially news. No, on news, I will often look at my phone, other news. If I'm really seriously reading, I like the paper. Yeah. I like a book or a newspaper or a magazine. For reference though, I use that USCCB website all the time to look up different things in the Bible and, and see what the the NAB translation says on it or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Now I will, I mean, I should say like, like I'll do Google search sometimes yeah, if I yeah. want to find something quick, yeah. you know, like I have a question or something. Yeah. Well, today's topic is the Bible didn't fall from the sky, which I think <laughs> you know, is, is probably obvious to people, but sometimes I think we might treat it that way as this. Yes. Inspired by God, the Holy spirit, but it, it wasn't just place here. It, it, it came about through human hands. So I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about how we got the Bible that we have today, that even Protestant churches are using a version of it. Right. I mean, we speak about the biblical canon or the canon of scripture. So the canon refers to what have been determined to be books that are the inspired word of God. Mm-hmm. So, the canons of the Old Testament and the canons of the New Testament. So there's quite a development of the canon of the Old Testament because we're talking about many, many centuries. Uh Whereas the canon of the New Testament would be briefer. It didn't take as long. And, And there was a whole process because a lot of it began as oral tradition, not in writing. So stories about let's say the Israelites stories were passed down from generation to generation before they were written down and keep in mind their various traditions because they're different tribes mm-hmm. of Israel. So different stories, different teachings, etc., would be coming from different strands. So even if you look at the, the book of Genesis, for example, there are really three different traditions that entered mm. into forming what we consider the 
book of Genesis as it, the inspired word of God. It's really fascinating, but it's very complex. Okay. Very complex. You know, trying to date. Well, there's questions about authorship, mm-hmm. questions about dating. So we're talking, we're getting back to like 1000 BC where you see some of the first written accounts. But then there were redactions and putting it together, et cetera. And it was the community that there were certain writings that they revered Mm -hmm. that were very important to them. And they believed that, yes, this is the word of God. So anyhow, without getting too technical, when we get to the church, and of course the church always believed that God is the author of sacred scripture, but he inspired human authors to write and to compose the sacred books. So we have both a divine and a human element because there were human faculties and human abilities that were involved, Mm -hmm. but the Lord acted or God acted through them. And really, so we have the truth of God's word. But Christianity is not a religion of the book. Christianity is the religion of the Word of God, capital W, Mm -hmm. the Word who became flesh, Mm -hmm. the Word incarnate. So the scriptures are not a dead letter. We're talking about Christ, the eternal Word of the living God, who through the Holy Spirit opens our minds to understand the scriptures. And therefore, scripture is never without tradition, with a capital T. As a matter of fact, when we think about tradition and scripture, and we can say, well, which came first? As I mentioned, oral traditions, both behind the Old Testament, but even with the New Testament, the words of Jesus, the acts of Jesus, the event of the Paschal mystery, etc., originally was shared by word by word Mm -hmm. of mouth, but very shortly, you know, things started being written down that eventually became, for example, the four gospels, Mm -hmm. the letters of St. Paul and the other New Testament letters. So we have these writings in the New Testament that, you know, some of the earliest would be like Paul's two letters to the Thessalonians. I mean, there are some writings that are come actually before the Gospels. They were written before the Gospels were written. But they were venerated. They were seen as, and they were read, for example, at the liturgy. Mm-hmm. So there was no Bible, so to speak, when the first Christians gathered for, well, yes, they had the Old Testament, I shouldn't say. Uh-huh. They did have, and they accepted, you know, the 45 or 46 books of, of the Old Testament, Why do you say 45 or 46? Because sometimes Jeremiah and Lamentations are counted as two books, sometimes as one. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so that that gets confusing Uh sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But very interesting, though, there was, you know, the Jewish people and the Jewish religious leaders had to determine what the canon of their scripture would be, the Jewish Bible. Sure. So that took centuries. Hmm. But there was kind of two major differences. The Jews in Jerusalem, what they considered the inspired word of God was what are called the proto-canonical books, proto-canonical books. Proto means first. So these were, there was no controversy about those. 
Then the second, which are deutero, deuterocanonical books, there was some debate about whether that was, they were truly the word of God. Now, books that were also going around that were not considered the word of God were called apocryphal, mm-hmm. apocryphal books. But there were seven books in the Old Testament that a few additions to the books of Esther and Daniel that in Jerusalem, they were considered apocryphal. They were not that they were false, but they didn't see them as to include in the canon. But outside of Jerusalem, the Jews who were in the diaspora, especially there was a large Jewish community in Alexandria in Egypt, they had the scripture in Greek, the Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. And they considered the, these extra seven books and the additions that I mentioned in the book of Daniel and the book of Esther to be inspired. So hmm. it's very interesting, and I'm not sure about the Jewish community today, if there's still some who accept, I don't know where they stand right. on those seven books, but the Catholic Church considers those seven books as the inspired word of God mm-hmm. and those additions that I mentioned. Because the, the early Christians used the Greek translation. Mm-hmm. They used the Septuagint version. And when you say early Christians, you mean before the New Testament was established? Yes. And he, yes. Before yeah. and after. Uh-huh. Right. Right. But it wasn't really determined. Well, that's a great question, Kyle. You know, I don't know that we have the evidence, historical evidence of them using those books or considering them inspired. I'm not sure when okay. that took place. Certainly by the fourth century. Mm-hmm. Certainly by the fourth century. When the the canon of the scriptures were really defined by church councils. But that's something I'd have to research a little bit. You know, were they reading them at the liturgy? Mm-hmm. For example, were they reading the books of Maccabees? Right. Yeah, their their first and second Maccabees are deuterocanonical. We we consider them the inspired word of God and the book of wisdom, for example, and the book of Sirach, book of Tobias, book of Judith, the prophet Baruch. Mm-hmm. So those are the seven books. But then at the Protestant Reformation, they did not accept them as the inspired word of God. So anyhow, there's mm-hmm. there's been some controversy and even, even in deciding the books of the New Testament, we have 27 New Testament books. There had to be discernment. Right. And that discernment took a few centuries. Mm-hmm. Really, we have, a, we have some evidence. There's a fragment from around the end of the second century, which you can see there was a list. And, but it didn't include all the 27 books that we have today. But most of them it did. Huh. Again... These writings were, were still being done and redacted up until the year 100 or even a little after. Mm-hmm. So it was after that, can you see which books they were reading when they would gather for the Eucharist? You would see, for example, the major churches, especially Rome, but also Alexandria and Antioch, Constantinople that they revered some of these writings because they were perhaps connected to the apostles, even written by the apostles, like written by St. Paul, the apostle. 
the letters, or, you know, Matthew, you know, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of John. Of course, Mark and Luke weren't apostles, but they were disciples of Peter and Paul. So Mm -hmm. there's an apostolicity about it. But eventually you see, and we have so much evidence from the fathers of the church because they talked about this. Mm -hmm. You, You start... How do we piece all this together and how it developed? Because I said it's pretty complex, is we have a lot of different sources. Like you can read early fathers of the church talk writing about what they considered to be the, the sacred writings. Uh-huh. And for example, the letter to the Hebrews, there wasn't total consensus on that. So there are a couple hmm. books that there was a little more debate going on about whether they should be included in the canon or not. Uh Some, also the book of Revelation, there was some debate about that from what I recall. So, of course, the voice of the Bishop of Rome would be very important on this. You know, what did did the Pope think? Uh But so there was a synod in Rome, kind of we know now more about synods, but for that region of Rome, and there were two synods in Africa, one in Hippo, where Augustine was the bishop, and two synods in Carthage in the latter part of the fourth century. So in the fourth century is when the church was really debating and, and kind of discerning, I should say, is a better word. They basically came to what we know today as the New Testament, the 27 books. And it wasn't like those councils, they weren't ecumenical councils. They were more regional councils in Rome, in Carthage, in Hippo. But basically from that time on, the entire Western church, and then not long after the entire Eastern church held to these books, that it's fixed. Okay. Really wasn't till the Council of Trent, I believe, that that it kind of became infallible teaching where the Council of Trent declared that you can't add to this. Mm. So in this process, there were some other writings too, some that were considered just false, but some that were considered good, like the Didache or the letters of Clement, that they were venerated in a way, but it was discerned that they weren't on that same level of being divinely inspired. So the Holy Spirit was at work through all this. That's our faith. And as I mentioned, the acceptance of the 45 or 46 books of the Old Testament. So it's really fascinating, the development of the canon of Scripture, but it's, it's really very complex. Mm-hmm. Talking about the time that Christ was on the earth, I'm, I'm sure we don't have any kind of exact figures, but how common was the Old Testament as far as would it have just been like the synagogue has a copy of it? Cause obviously this is wait, you know, centuries before the printing press, they're all hand copied. Would there have been a handful of people that would have one of these in their homes, like kind of scholars or something like that, or like how common was. Yeah. It wouldn't be common. It would be in the temple, okay. you know, the temple in Jerusalem, for example, there'd be scrolls uh-huh. or synagogues, as you mentioned. And at the beginning, the Old Testament canon, the way that, for example, it really wasn't fixed even up till the time of Jesus, just to be clear. Mm -hmm. 
we know from ancient sources that the Jewish people had 22 or 24 book canon. Hmm. But some of those books were like what we now have as two books sure. or, or whatever. So, but first of all, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible had great importance. They were called the law, mm-hmm. the Torah. So the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they were especially respected in Judaism. They also had, you know, historical books like Joshua, Judges, etc., books of Samuel, books of Kings, and then the prophetic books, like we have, you know, the four major prophets and the 12 minor prophets, and then the wisdom books, Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, etc. Mm-hmm. Now, that's how we describe them. The Jews had it really in three areas. The law, okay, the same thing, the, the Pentateuch, the prophets, but they would include those historical books that I mentioned within what they would call the prophets. And then the third area they would call other writings. Hmm. And that's what we call, for example, the wisdom books, like the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs, et cetera, book of Job. Uh And, you know, Christians saw themselves as the fulfillment of Judaism, so basically borrowed the the Jewish canon, and we take the Jewish scriptures as our own. You know, when they speak about the scriptures in the New Testament, what are they referring to? Well, they're referring to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And you'll see how the evangelist or Jesus himself quotes from the Old Testament scriptures, right. and they talk about the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Mm-hmm. So we see references to many of the books of the Old Testament in the Gospels. You know what the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament is? It's the book of Psalms. Okay. You know, there's mention of the law and the prophets. Mm-hmm. So when they speak about the law, they're referring to the Pentateuch, the books of Moses. The prophets refers to the prophetic books that I mentioned. Now, there are some books of the Old Testament that we don't find quoted in, in the New Testament. But does that mean they're not canonical? No, because... Just because they're not there doesn't mean there weren't other inspired Mm -hmm. word of God. But Jesus did quote quite a few. So neither Jesus nor the apostles left us a fixed canon for the New Testament, as I've already talked about. Even when you read John's gospel, it says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you know, the gospels aren't the sole source of the biblical canon. So some Old Testament books are not even alluded to in the New Testament, but many are. So I know it's quite a bit to, to kind of grasp this. As I mentioned, fathers of the church debated, argued over which books were considered inspired or authoritative. So during those first three centuries of the church's existence, there wasn't total consensus. That's why they had the councils that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. One thing that has always been kind of convincing to me, I guess, about Catholicism in general is that Jesus didn't leave a book. He didn't write things down himself, and then we don't have any recorded 
stories of him telling people to write this down or mm-hmm. you know, he left a church. He left a person in charge. He left, he instituted sacraments. He left us with the Holy Spirit. And all of those things led to the being able to put together a Bible, which then other people have taken to form churches from, and it kind of becomes a telephone game mm-hmm. that you can see where some of the teachings turn into different belief systems. And that, you know, to go back to the source always seems to make sense to me. Yeah. You know, St. Augustine, he wrote about this. He spoke about the canonical scriptures. He said, basically, we must follow the judgment of the churches. Mm. In other words, the judgment of the, you know, the Catholic churches. By that, he means, of course, Rome and Constantinople at that time, Alexandria, you know, the the major seas that were founded by apostles, you know. And so there was always this connection between the church and her magisterium and tradition with sacred scripture that you really can't separate them, mm-hmm. that it's all together. And that's one of the things you see the Holy Spirit working, okay? Yeah. Because if in Rome and in Carthage and in Constantinople and in Alexandria, they're all reading these letters from St. Paul to the Corinthians and they venerate them and they're using them in the liturgy. Those are signs of being inspired. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's the church, it's the body of Christ. And so the churches that are apostolic, you know, especially Mm -hmm. they, they can make these judgments. One thing that I see a lot of Protestants, and, and I guess the opposite of this being Catholics not being good at this, but Protestants being good at knowing where things are in the Bible, being able to quote things, memorizing verses and things like that. And then Catholics a lot of times get flack for not knowing the Bible, not reading the Bible, you know, not respecting the Bible or, or being able to know where these verses are. Do you think that's something that we as Catholics could learn from our Protestant brothers and sisters and should get better at? Or is there a, a danger of putting too much emphasis on Scripture? No, I, I, what I would say, I mean, I think we, we need to teach Scripture. Mm-hmm. Catholics should be knowledgeable mm-hmm. of the Word of God. And therefore, I mean, I remember growing up, I think I might have mentioned this before. I mean, we are, we hear the Scriptures at every Mass, yeah. you know. But I think also in catechesis, it's important that we teach about the Bible and the stories, et cetera. And I think we should teach also how to pray with the scriptures, especially the Psalms, but also the Gospels. I think every Catholic child or young person should be very familiar with the four Gospels mm-hmm. and should have read all four before they graduate from Catholic school, for example. Hmm. I think they should know the major stories of the Old Testament. They should all know about the Exodus. And mm-hmm. so I, I do think we can do a good job. As far as memorization, I'm also, I do think it's good to have certain things memorized. Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain things we have memorized, those of us who pray the Liturgy of the Hours every day. We have the Benedictus and the Magnificat and different prayers or different scripture passages that we we say so often that we've really taken it to our memory. But I think that's a good assignment mm-hmm. in school, for example, to to assign a passage. For example, wouldn't it be beautiful 
to be able to, to quote the beginning of the prologue of St. John. Hmm. I mean, the first 14 verses. Now, I don't know if anyone really does that today. Yeah. Or Psalm 23. I mean, a lot of Protestants probably, or at least in the past, knew that by heart. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. Mm-hmm. There is nothing I shall want. I don't say that's required, but I think it's a good thing Yeah, to have some memorization. It sounds hard to me. And then I think about songs that I have memorized <laughs> from uh, the radio right. like right. <laughs> that are doing me no good. But yeah, uh, yeah to learn... Yeah. Those Bible verses would be probably more advantageous to me. Yeah. You know, I really don't know how much is that of that's going on today if memorization is part of it. I, I mean, we do teach our children, you know, prayers to memorize. Certainly the Our Father, which comes right out of Matthew's gospel. You know, so that's part of the Bible that we memorize mm-hmm. because it's a prayer. Right. I mean, certainly certain verses everyone knows, you know, like because we hear them at Mass all the time. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Yeah. I mean, that's... Lord, I'm not worthy to enter under the roof. Yeah, so there are a lot of verses that we've memorized, yeah. Do you think there is any danger about putting too much emphasis on Scripture? Or is that one of those things that you can't... I don't think so, unless one... But one cannot isolate it from the church. Mm -hmm. In other words, where it's... The only thing that's dangerous is the uh, fundamentalism mm-hmm. or like where it becomes so individualistic and you know that's not how the scriptures are to be read you know they are the book of the church so one needs to always keep in mind scripture and tradition and the authority of the magisterium in the interpretation of scripture that's the only caveat i mm-hmm. would give so would that be the concept of sola scriptura or, right. or script or Bible alone right. as right. your only source of yeah. truth and authority? Right. That's the only thing I'd say. Yeah. You know, we, one has to avoid those problems. And one has to be attentive to the content and the unity of the whole scripture. You know, you, one of the dangers is to take a, a verse or a couple of verses out of context. Mm-hmm. And... That's where one can easily fall into error Mm -hmm. because, and that's why the Second Vatican Council and the Catholic Church gives criteria for interpreting scripture. And that's the first one, that we should always be attentive Mm. to the content and the unity of the whole scripture. So we see all scripture, for example, in reference to Christ as the center and the heart because he is the word of God incarnate. And one should always read the scripture within the living tradition of the whole church. After all, it was the church, as we talked about, that even determined the canon of scripture. And also we should be attuned to the coherence of the truths of the faith among themselves and with the whole plan of of God's revelation. That's called the analogy of faith. So... Hmm the coherence of the truths of faith among themselves and within the whole plan of revelation. So that's kind of the Catholic, very important criteria for interpreting scripture. And they are indicated in the Second Vatican Council. By the way, if one really wants to delve into Catholic teaching on revelation, which is scripture, tradition, you know, and also the magisterium, there's a great document of Vatican II. That's, you know, the dogmatic constitution on divine revelation. 
It's not real long. And it's De Verbum, the Word of God. Hmm. De Verbum. It's a very rich document. I highly recommend it. All right. Any uh, tips before we go on a starting point? Somebody's like, okay, you're, you've convinced me I should, I should read Scripture more. What, what well, do I do start? Bible in a day with Father Mike Schmitz there you and go. go through the whole thing. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I always say, you know, pride of place, always the four Gospels. Okay. And I just, you know, think that everyone should have read the four Gospels. In order? No, not necessarily. Would you say start with John, your favorite? Oh, <laughs> uh, I think I would end with John. Okay. I would end with John. Dessert. Yeah. Mark <laughs> would be the shortest and, you know, preceded, probably, okay. although there's some debate over this, probably preceded Matthew, certainly preceded Luke and John. And by the way, I also, one other thing I want to mention is, and this only happens every now and then where someone will speak negatively about the Old Testament and say they don't like it. or And I really think that's very dangerous. There was a heresy in the early church very early on. You probably heard of it, Marcionism. Yeah. Marcion was a bishop who opposed, well, he rejected the Old Testament. He believed that the New Testament rendered the Old Testament void. Mm. And so... The church always vigorously opposed the idea of rejecting the Old Testament. And we do venerate the Old Testament as the true word of God. So every now and then I'll have to correct someone who kind of has that Marcion. Huh. Uh, that was one of the first heresies in the history of the church. Okay. Yeah. It's an indispensable part of sacred scripture. And the Old Testament has a permanent value because the Old Covenant has never been revoked. We have to remember that. Hmm. Although it was all there as preparation for the coming of Christ. I think the Old Testament as a whole would be a great episode. And also one I've been thinking about is an episode on why does it seem like there's two different gods, the God of the Old Testament that's kind of angry and wrathful and the God of the New Testament that's very loving and merciful? So, But, you know, that's the, that's the stereotype, but it's not true. Yeah. Because throughout the Old Testament, we see the mercy of God and the love of God. There are times where, yeah, God's wrath will appear. And one has to, again, what I was saying before, when it comes to interpretation, you have to look at the whole. Yeah. You can't just take some parts. We have to be attentive to uh, the content and the unity of the whole scripture. Yeah. So, so one isn't even being fair saying that the Old Testament portrays God in that way because that's not the whole of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, it's not even the majority of the Old Testament. Mm. So one needs right. to have the balanced view and one has to understand exactly what we mean by God's wrath. But anyhow, that would be another. Yeah, that yeah. would be another episode. That would be a good one. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bishop. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rose is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. It's engineered by Josh Skipper at the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend, produced by Miriam Schmitz, and edited by Tony Marks for Spoke Street Media.
This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.